0: Welcome to Growth Hack by Poppy Digital. Tips and tricks to master the algorithms from industry insiders. Now here's your host, Julian Espinoza. Welcome back to Growth Hack, where we break down marketing channels like Google, Facebook, Instagram, and show them how to make them work for you. Should we be making decisions solely on data? With all this data in our hands, what's missing? Well, according to our guest today, Tim Ash, he believes the data experts are missing something key. Tim believes we need to go back to the basics of how to persuade people and understand human fundamental motivations, how we act, and why we do it. Tim is an acknowledged authority on evolutionary psychology and digital marketing. He is a sought-after international keynote speaker and the best-selling author of Unleash Your Primal Brain and Landing Page Optimization. Tim has worked with companies like Google, Expedia, eHarmony, Facebook, American Express, Canon, Nestle, Intuit, and Cisco's. Welcome, Tim. Tim.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Julian. Great to be with you.
0: Today, our listeners, this is a very interesting episode. We've dedicated a lot of this podcast to growth hacks, data-driven marketing. I mean, we've done so much on that. And, and those are great topics. Those are great things to talk about. But Tim comes on this show and he's going to be approaching something very, very differently. So first question I have for you, Tim, is... We hear about data-driven marketing, we hear how it's the bee's knees, uh, how it's it's the best thing since sliced bread, and, and we get to make some really scalable decisions. But why aren't we seeing consistent success across the board?
1: Well, I think there are several problems with it, but at a, uh, there are two big ones that I wanna touch on. The first is, the whole data-driven idea. Everything's measurable. I think there was um, the true story of a creative director at Google who actually resigned because they wanted to test the RGB values of the blue on the button on the page. And you know why? Because they could. I mean, they had that much data. They had that many visitors to that page. But that's just asinine, kind of settling bar bets kind of stuff. So my first observation is data-driven only applies to Things that can be measured easily and have the data volumes to do testing and so on. And that's a small, tiny subset of the things you should be doing in terms of real growth hacking, as far as I'm concerned. It's sort of like the story of the drunk guy um, stumbling around on all fours under the street lamp and the cop comes up to him and says, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And he says, I'm looking for my car keys. And the cop says, well, where'd you lose them? And, And the drunk points to the dark end of the alley, hundreds of meters away. And he goes, over there. And the cop says, Well, why are you looking here? And the and the guy looks up at the street light and goes, Cause the light's better. <laughs> That's what we're doing as data-driven marketers. Some of the best insights I've ever had have come from qualitative stuff. Um, it's it's watching people in the field use your technology or your services or whatever it is. It's it's asking people questions, it's how they talk about them. It's um, some of the best headlines in, that have won in quantitative tests that we've ever done were taken from the language of customer service complaints.
0: So it's, it's very interesting you're, you're, you're talking about this. So I think um, to, to put some magnification on what you're saying is like, you're, you're, you're hyper-focused on the small things and you're not looking at the meta.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's, um, it's, you're uncomfortable going to any uncharted territory. It's like the old maps, uh, pre Columbus maps where there's dragons and sea monsters in the corner. You know, you don't know what's there because it's not measurable. You, you haven't mapped it. You can't measure it. So you just want to stay in your little box of stuff that you can statistically validate through split testing. You know. So unfortunately, conversion rate optimization as it's gotten operationalizing companies has come to mean, you know, quantitative testing and i mean think about the limitations of that you only have some high volume pages you test them two or three times they're going to get better and your ideas are going to get used up so they'll get worse you won't be able to beat the winner any for any kind of consistent way and then what okay are you done optimizing your business no when i ran site tuners my my former agency we were uh, very strategic. Like, well, we had a client that sold, for example, high ticket items and they did well on their website and they had really knowledgeable customer service folks that could tell you all about these complex, expensive products. So we said, look, the thing we want to do is train your call center. So we did a one week sales training. So they wouldn't only know about the product. They'd actually try to sell you on the phone and their website uh Performance didn't change at all, but their phone sales went up 15% instantly after a one week training of 60 people. So that's growth hacking to me. Rewriting your email scripts, uh, having an editorial tone for all of your content marketing, that's growth hacking to me. Changing your business model, that's growth hacking. So it's not just uh, UX stuff or fiddling around with stuff on your website or your landing pages.
0: So let's go into what are some common mistakes that marketers make that go against what we know about persuasion and psychology?
1: Well, for starters, let's, brings me to my second point of why quantitative stuff isn't working is um, we do things with an inside out perspective. It's us with the megaphone saying we're great buy our crap. All 8 billion people on the planet need it now. You know, it's not true. So uh, one of the things I'm a huge advocate for, um, and I had, um, Uh, My friend Steve Krug, who he keynoted at the Conversion Conference many years ago, he really literally wrote the book on web usability back in the day. But he's a huge advocate for informal user testing, just asking people. It doesn't have to be statistically significant. Just talk to people. And um, one of the things you get from that are these insights that you wouldn't have had because you're too close to it. You're inside the company, you're too close to it, and you're mostly worried about return on ad spend and CPA and all all your stuff on your your dashboard, uh, on your Tableau custom design dashboard, dashboard, but you're not thinking about your visitors. When was the last time you actually interacted with an end user, your product or service? Most people sitting inside the company might say never. And that's a shame. So the closer you can get to the outside, to the unfiltered, to getting their perspective with all of their confusion, misunderstanding, time pressures, whatever you want to put on it, take them where they are and help them instead of trying to shove stuff down their throat. So the biggest issue I have with with marketers is they actually don't care about the people that they say they're trying to serve.
0: Right. And so what you're saying is that they don't care about their consumers that are buying the products or the service. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, well, think about it. Or, you know, in a lot of software stuff, it's users, right? I mean, where, where where's the, where else do we use the word users? Oh yeah. Illegal drugs, right? That's the only other place where we refer to human beings as users, right? They're not users of your software. They're people.
0: So let's head in this direction for, for a brief moment. I want to talk about some actionable things that you've identified over the course of your career that you've seen really successful. Um, and let's just, and I'm an example guy. I, a lot of people listen to this show because I'm the, the example dude. I love going over some
1: examples. Okay, sure. You got it. So some strategies maybe. Yeah. So,
0: so let's dig, let's open the box up and let's just say, okay, uh, one of these campaigns that you ran, you, you saw things happening this way. They, everyone at the table was having this conversation and you sat down and you realized everyone was not having the right conversation. You refocused them and said, hey, we should be talking about this. We should actually be going in this. And this was the result.
1: One one of the um, things that jumps to mind is um, our need for certainty. Uh, this is a lot of these things I'm going to talk about, obviously I have an evolutionary basis, but, um, let me give you an example. Let's say you have to go to a doctor and you have this really bad medical condition. And so they diagnosed you and they said, okay, Julian, here's the deal. We're, um, we know what it is in order to take care of it. We're going to do a surgery. It's outpatient, um, you know, be in and out in an hour and 97% of the times, no problem. And your pro- big problem is gone. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, You had a different doctor come in. He he has slightly different training in bedside manner. And he says something like this to you. Hey, Julian. Okay. So we know what's going on. We know the cause of it. The solution is an outpatient surgery. And uh, 3% of the time, you're going to have major complications or die on the table. But the rest of the time, you'll be fine. Your problem will be gone
0: forever. Sounds terrible. I'm scared.
1: It's the same thing though. 3% 3% chance of something going wrong, 97% chance of it turning out great. So how you frame things is critical. So one of the things that marketers get wrong all the time is uh, they speak in happy, happy talk. I call it marketees. It's its own language. We're the world's leading solution for, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's meaningless pablum, and it's also positive-based. I'll give you another quick example. Let's say you wanted to whiten your teeth, okay? Now, most tooth whitening, and you've seen these commercials, like, have a great smile, and there's that little bling effect on the on the TV commercial, you know, like, and uh, life is great, and that's how you sell tooth whitening. Well, that's actually a stupid way to sell tooth whitening. I would sell it like this. Do you have yellowish, grayish teeth? Do you close your mouth instead of smiling? Do you have resting bastard face? Do you have a hard time getting a date? Are you going to die alone in your apartment and the only way it'll be discovered is after a few weeks from the odor and your cat's trying to eat your dead carcass? That's how you sell tooth whitening. That's scary. (laughs) It is scary and it makes you want to do something about it. So one of the things I learned in the gym a long time ago that is absolutely 100% transferable to marketing is the following phrase, no pain, no gain. If you can't create a pain in me, I don't value your solution. And the more pain you create in me, the more I value making that pain go away. So the mistake most marketers make is they say, well, that's off brand for us. We don't say mean things. We don't compare ourselves to our competitors. God forbid. We don't talk about the consequences of not using our products or services. We did this with Dropbox and they had us design... um, his landing page test for uh, their paid version of Dropbox, a a few bucks a month, whatever it was. And they were saying, hey, life with Dropbox is great. Here's all the features. And we actually did a before and after. So the suggested page we said to them was, hey, Um, here's life without Dropbox, mailing files all over the place, not being able to attach them because they're too big, not knowing which version is correct and so on. And all of this, like we rub salt into the wound and then here's life after Dropbox pro. And it was like, you know, sunshine and roses and unicorns farting rainbows.
0: Very interesting. So I don't want to go too far off the subject of marketing, but because of who you are, what you're currently doing, I I do want to talk for a second about this. Um, Why do you believe humans seek certainty?
1: Because uncertainty has really bad consequences. We're threat-focused. In other words, uh, if I said to you, well, actually, Julian, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream?
0: Vanilla. Vanilla.
1: So here, Julian, here's a bowl of vanilla ice cream. You can have it right now, but on the way in while you reach for it, I'm just going to hit you with a hammer on the back of the hand. Just the one time. Don't worry. Okay. And then you can have your bowl of ice cream and enjoy it.
0: I don't want the vanilla ice cream.
1: (laughs) Okay. So I know what's going to motivate you. It's pain avoidance and not losing resources and having greater chances of survival. So we're key to threats. That's the basic brutish, version of evolution. We're keyed to survival threats. And so anything that's negative is going to have our full attention and negative consequences are, uh, are what we focus on. So if you can take away the negative by creating certainty, we'll pay a premium for that.
0: Would you say as humans, we make decisions in two categories away from pain or towards pleasure?
1: Generally speaking, yes. Uh, and those can be uh, also come in two flavors, uh, automatic responses. Like you, if you touch a hot stove, you're not going to say, hmm, what is that odd smell emanating from the tip of my finger? You know, you're just going to pull your hand away, right? That's automatic. And then there's learned responses, which are tied to our memories and value that we've placed on past events. And that's very specific to your own life journey and what's happened to you in the past. Uh, But here's the the key. None of those things have anything to do with the quote-unquote rational brain or the conscious mind. The part that has access to language, that makes logical decisions, uh, that part is not involved. You literally cannot make a decision without an emotional or instinctual component.
0: Would you say, as humans, we make a majority of our decisions away from pain versus towards pleasure?
1: Yes. So as an entrepreneur, this is just an interesting thing I was talking about with a friend of mine recently on. Um, The reason entrepreneurs are so effective sometimes, a lot of caveats there, is that they have a built-in anti-negativity bias. A lot of entrepreneurs are like, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. right? And given that there's about a two, two and a half to one negativity bias, counteracting that with a positivity bias can be a very powerful thing. It actually gives you a more realistic view of reality. Say that again. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, if if I say, instead of saying, God, here's my mind planning to avoid pain and all the things that could go wrong. If I consciously said, what if everything went right? And I focused my mindset and my imagination and harnessed it for that. That's much more likely to be a balanced, realistic view of what's likely to happen because the negative stuff happens automatically. I have to work to inject extra positivity and conscious thought into the positive stuff.
0: So to justify our little last uh, rant in in that direction, let let's 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 use some of those things and some of those topics that we just talked about and relate them to another Dropbox example. So you, the Dropbox example was you showed life before Dropbox and then you showed life after Dropbox. Do you have another example of this in another uh, project that you worked on?
1: So the the brain is a very energy intensive. A part of our body. In fact, our brain uses a quarter of its resting calories just to exist. That's a lot compared to say 8% for our closest primate cousins. So we use three times as much energy to just to power our brain. So we've made our digestion smaller, our muscles weaker just to allow for that giant energy expenditure. So better be doing something useful. But even as the brain does its thing, it tries to essentially stay on standby or autopilot and conserve energy. So the default response of your brain, and this is something marketers need to understand, is to do nothing because that requires the least energy and thought and conscious planning and everything else. So what we have to overcome as marketers is the inertia of doing nothing. So the best way to think about marketing is you want me to, I'm cruising along, I think everything's fine. You want me to hit a big pothole. Now, what happens to a car when it hits a pothole? It goes down and then up. And that down and up, that delta, that difference, the size of that shock is the size of the problem as we experience it. So if I think everything's fine, I'm just going along and nothing's going wrong, bad's happening, that's what you have to overcome. You have to pull me off of my comfortable spot, take me to the bowels of hell, and then up into the light of heaven. And then the difference between heaven and hell is the amount I'm willing to pay for your solution to fix that problem. So we have to perturb you. We have to get you off of that comfortable spot. And the best way to do it is a ba-boom. It's like, oh, look at all the implications of staying on your current path. They're horrible, like the tooth whitening example. And then after that, imagine if you had bright, shiny teeth and all these beautiful you know, partners would look at you and smile, right? That's the heaven part. And then, so I'm not saying never use positive stuff. I'm saying combine it with first using negative stuff. Um, and that's how you do marketing.
0: You know, it's interesting because um, I'm, I'm very involved in the startup community. And there's a lot of uh, conversation of what, what is a perfect pitch deck. And what I've seen across the board of many, many people agree that starting with the problem, instead of starting with the solution, is the best use of a pitch deck. So don't come in with your solution right away. Identify the problem.
1: Well, yeah, when I would say there's a, there's an awful book with some great principles in it by I think it's Neil Rackham wrote it um, a while ago uh, called SPIN Selling. And SPIN is this acronym, uh, but he has the, the evolutionary psychology exactly right. SPIN stands for situation. Problem, implication, and need payoff. So first situation, give us a few quick facts. This is used for sales, right? Then, okay, suspected problems, once the problems are confirmed, the implications, that's the rubbing salt into the wound to see how bad things really are. And then the need payoff, imagine what life would be like if all of those problems were to go away. Now, here's the thing that has not happened yet and that is a sales situation. You have not said what your solution is or how much it costs. That's the thing you do on the very end of that. First, you do the spin, which is basically that shock absorber um, bounce or transient that I was describing. So absolutely, in any persuasion situation, you just say, look, you have this problem. You have a company that doesn't address this space. And this is a huge problem space and people feel this acutely. And if we were to solve this, it's worth a lot of money to them, and consequently would make you money. Uh, so that is absolutely the right approach.
0: Tim, this has been an amazing, amazing uh, episode. Um, I, I got to talk about my favorite subjects, which is marketing and psychology. Uh, we talked about evolutionary biology. I mean, honestly, you and I could sit here and keep talking. This is probably one of our my longest episodes. So listeners, thank you so much for listening. Here's the thing, though. There's a book. And I got to tell you, the way this book was sent to me was... I. I I can't speak enough how amazing just the packaging is. I still have the packaging from weeks and weeks ago when you sent me this book. So everyone, Mm. it's called Unleash Your Primal Brain. Okay. Um, Tim, talk us and walk us through briefly what you cover in this book and why we should listen to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you asked me, so how did I get into this or how did I transition? To me, this has been a very natural thing. When I went to UC San Diego as an undergrad, I had a double major in computer engineering and cognitive science. And I stayed there for machine learning, neural networks, AI, almost finished my PhD, but then I quit to start my first company. So you guess you could say I've always been interested in the brain and cognition and learning. And I applied that to marketing for decades. And now I've come back to my first love, which is explaining the human brain. And so this book I feel is a big contribution to that because um, the, to me, the red thread or the story about understanding the brain is the evolution of it. We share things with the earliest life on earth and, some things with our mammalian pals, and some things make us distinctly human that evolved at the very end that are bizarre in the animal kingdom. So this book retraces that arc of evolution and helps you understand everything from memory to learning, the gender differences, storytelling, our highly social natures, why we evolved to spread culture. And it's written in a very dynamic way. You've read it. It's available as an audio book as well that I narrate. Um, no gobbledygook, no tables, no graphs. It's basically everything you need to know about persuasion and understanding human behavior.
0: If someone wants to reach out to you, ask you questions, what, what should they reach out to you for and what, uh, how would they contact you?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, regarding the book, of course, available everywhere in all formats. But if you want a sample chapter of it, um, then just uh, go to primalbrain.com book and I'll send you the chapter of your choice. Uh, So just take a look at the table of contents and pick your most favorite topic. Uh, As far as uh, public speaking or marketing consulting, I do a lot of advisory, especially with executives and fast growth companies. So uh, go to timash.com.
0: We'll have that all in the show notes. Tim, Thank you so much um, for coming on the show uh, to talk to us about these subjects. This is definitely not the uh, last time you'll be appearing on this show. If, if, you, if we can have you again.
1: Threats will get you nowhere. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Julian.
0: All right, Tim. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon.